ever wondered what goes on in the mind of your favorite writer? The emotions. The emotions. Each lie. Lie. Every scene put together into one book, an experience to cast your mind into a world of endless possibilities. This is Bookcast with Michael Olatumbosu. Today, let's discuss another book about a giant in the broadcasting world. The book is titled, Yonjua Degbite, His Story, a biography written by Abimbola Lagunju and published in 2022 by Ballista Books. In the book, we have spread across 221 pages the story of the quintessential broadcasting great, Mr. Yonjua Degbite. The book also lays out for us the circumstances of his birth, his family history and genealogy, as well as other details about a man at Denyonjua Degbite. The book also sets before us his faith, especially how he got born again after so many years of groping in the dark. And straight away, our first glimpse of the professional and personal passion of this man is his somewhat unplanned but providential opening of the radio station where he worked as a studio manager on 16th October 1974. Nyonju was not the announcer whose job was to open the radio station on that morning. But the announcer did not arrive before the 5.30am station opening time. And as the studio manager on duty, Nyonjua debuted down to the consequences and opened the station. That was the beginning of almost five decades of a microphone mastery and outstanding success that have greeted the career of Uncle Nyonju Adegbite, as some of us fondly call him. We're told the story of Nyonju's entrance into the world of acting and public speaking during his days at Government College Ibadan. We're introduced to his role in the opera, Sweeney Todd, the Berber, and many other performances which had prepared him and had built his confidence in spoken English and had made him ready for his first microphone experience at Radio Nigeria, Ibadan. And that was his saving grace on the day he would have been fired for opening the radio station to save the day. Afterwards, Nyoju Adebite was trained at the Radio Nigeria Training School in Lagos, where his course mates included CNA Orwell Brown, Shola Omoli, among others. On his return from the training school, a more confident Nyoju Adebite was ready to make the airwaves his own. And that was it. All was exciting and thrilling for him and he was feeling on top of the world. Then a memo almost shattered his career. It was a three-month ultimatum to all staff who had been employed without their proper school certificates to quickly replace their statements of results with O-level certificates. Yonju's certificate had been withheld by Government College Ibadan because he owed his Form 5 school fees. His relative, who usually paid his fees on collecting the money from his late father's friend, had spent the money to bury Grandpa. Well, his own father had died in 1968 and things had become a bit difficult. But by a stroke of providence, he escaped the axe and on top of it, enough money to pay his debt at government college, to pay his brother's school fees and to pay for new shirts, all thanks to the Udoji windfall. In this book, we read about the effect of the Udoji windfall on the cost of goods and services. Prices went up as civil servants' salaries went up in equal measure. The book also gives us information about the beginnings of radio service in Nigeria and the foundation stories of the regional stations in Ibadan, Enugu and Kaduna. I'm still discussing the book, Nyonju Adegbite, His Story. In this book, Nyonju recalls his boarding house experience at Government College, Ibadan. The excitement of going to school as well as the experience of bullying by seniors as one downside of boarding school is exposed in detail in the book. In one of the experiences, he recalls to us how he and his friend Shegun Eboda 
had to contribute their pocket money to buy provisions for a Form 5 student who accosted them on their first day at school. We are in this book treated to some of the extracurricular activities of Nyoju and his friends in the school, including participation in cricket, football and drama. We read that Nyoju played the piano on Sundays during the services in Government College and the nearby Queen's School. After school years were indeed tough for young Nyoju Adegbite, he went to Lagos on the instance of a cousin who promised a job but returned to Ibadan months later when things didn't work out as expected. Returning to the house in Ibadan didn't offer much other than toxic conversations from his father's relatives who were living in their house. Nyoju later finds solace in the choir at St. Anne's Anglican Church and rehearsals with Odu themes, which was curated by Professor Bode Showande. You are still listening to Bookcast with Michael Olatsumbosun. The book on the table is Nyoju Adegbite, his story, a biography written by Abimbola Lagunju. In this book, we read about Nyoju's meteoric rise to fame and acclaim at Radio Nigeria, especially with his breakfast fiesta program and news reading prowess. We also read about his conversion from Radio Nigeria to the then newly established Radio OYO, plus the intrigues surrounding how he was pushed from Radio Nigeria. We read the interesting bits and pieces of information, drama and intrigues around his exploits on the Radio OYO, his working relationship with the great Alex Conde, his roles in the formation of Radio OYO 2FM station at Makbo, including being the first voice to herald the new station, all in his early 20s. Soon, Nyanju would resign from Radio OYO. He perceived that he's being stuck on grade level 7 while the people he auditioned were becoming his superiors was injustice. That was a period when recruitment into the broadcast industry had changed from being about talent and ability to possession of university degrees. After leaving Radio OYO, Nyanju went back to Breakfast Fiesta program as a freelance presenter at Radio Nigeria and delved into production on the side. But 10 months after leaving, Nyanju was back and soon after, that much-talked-about combination of Nyanju and Adiola was born. On Easter Monday in 1985, the famous DNY Connection show made its debut on the airwaves and stayed there for the next five years until Adiola Alagbe retired. Once again, our protagonist in this book left Radio OYO for the second time. That was in 1990. But it was not done. In 1982, the Civilian Administration of Governor Bolaige in Oyo State decided to create a state-owned television station. Yonju was again invited to be the first face and voice on the new television service of Oyo State. And with that, Yonju Adebita made history as the first voice and face to usher three stations into the air. Radio OYO 2 FM and the television service of Oyo State. A large amount of space in the book is dedicated to Nyoju's cordial relationship with Abiola Ajimobi long before his entry into politics. Then their working relationship when Ajimobi became a senator and later the Oyo State governor between 2011 and 2019. This book sets before us Mr. Nyoju Adebite's appointment by Ajimobi to spearhead far-reaching reforms at the Broadcasting Corporation of Oyo State in that period, plus the heavy doses of resistance that he encountered during his early interventions as Chief Executive Officer at the BCOS. Also in the book is the author's reportage of Nyoju Adebite's relationship with other political figures like Chief Bola Ige, Adebayo Alawakala, Senator Peter Adeyemo, among others. In the book, the reader sees that the relentless Nyoju Adebita is always hungry for the microphone. His craving for the microphone thus prods him on, even after 48 years. 
He currently reads the news and presents a program on Fresh FM after many years brimming with awards and accolades. And finally, the book contains highlights of Uncle Yoju's video documentaries, awards, and other important milestones in his life. Ultimately, this book is a well-researched work, ably written by an able writer with a brimming dossier of quality and depth. And with smooth narration and great storytelling prowess, the author lays before us Yoju Adebite's art, challenges and victories. It's a book for all seasons. In this conversation, Uncle Yoju Adebite discusses family, especially his father, bullying in school, his landmark achievement in the broadcast industry, and the famous D&Y Connection show. You are still listening to Bookcast with Michael Olatsumbosun. The book is Nyoju Adegbite, His Story, written by Abimbola Lagunju. But essentially, it is a biography about our own Uncle Nyoju. You decided to put up a biography. And um, I find it fascinating that you have different shades of yourself mm. in the work. Nyoju, the schoolboy. Nyoju, mm. the professional broadcaster. Mm. And Nyoju, the businessman as well as consultant, as well as uh, Nyoju, uh, the family man. So let's start <coughs> with why in the first instance did you decide that it was time to come out with the biography? Well, actually, that work started way back um, 1994, some 28 years ago. I'd been toying with it. There is a chief uh, Jupe Bacount, an expatriate, who had been in Nigeria all his life, perhaps. At that time, he was the CEO, chairman, I think, of uh, Spectrum Books. Yeah. So he was one of my very good fans on radio, and he tried to impress it on me to put something on paper concerning my life. I tried it. But, you know, I'd been very, very restless. You know, at times, I would write like about two, three pages. I would abandon it there and um, come back there again later. By the time I come back there again later, I'm busy fine-tuning what I wrote some time ago. So the thing didn't quite take off the ground. But there was so much pressure coming, saying that, look, you've got to tell us the story of your life. So it got to a point when I saw the nose diving that uh, we were experiencing, particularly in the broadcast industry. And I felt that the young people who are going there now needed to learn of me, needed to be able to learn of my own experience, and also to encourage young people who might think, because most of the young people these days, when you try to tell them, that, look, if your passion is in broadcasting, find something in the area of entrepreneurship that will bring food to your table. Because, you see, there is not too much money you will get in broadcasting these days. Not in these days that Polytechnic Ibadan alone graduates about a thousand graduates every session. Where are they going to get a job from? Even in spite of that, with all the FM stations we have now, majority of them are not breaking even because of the economy. So I felt that let me also let them know that when you want to go into other things, that you don't have resources is not an excuse. If I want to go ahead of myself, I started work at the age of 18 plus, and ever since I've never taken a cover from anybody up till this moment. And I come from what they call in Yoruba, Atapata Dide. In other words, from a very, very indigent family. My father never owned a car till he died, and he struggled taking cooperative loans and stuff to be able to get me into government college. But unfortunately, I was in Form 2 when he died. So when you look at it from that point of view, the main reason why I decided to say, let me write this book or let me present my story was because 
I wanted the young people to learn. I wanted those who are not even going to broadcasting to be able to learn of uh, how to develop courage to be able to achieve, particularly in Nigeria. You know, living in Nigeria successfully should be in your young body's CV. What do I mean by that? If you live successfully in Nigeria, it should be in your CV. <laughs> wow. Yeah, because you know what it is in Nigeria now. Hmm. Uh, you should put it in your CV that I was a Nigerian, I lived in Nigeria. Just say, I lived in Nigeria for so so I was born here. It's in our CV because it's tough. At every stage, it's very, very tough. Even for to those who actually have very rich parents, it's also tough for them. So I wanted to put something down, but I wanted it written in a way that the young people would be able to understand. In broadcasting, you are not allowed to use big words, yeah. big expressions. Mm -hmm. Use simple expressions that everybody, it will be easy for everybody to decipher. In other words, if I say two, three sentences, don't put big grammar there. While the man is still trying to make out what you have said, you will not stop. You know, I've tried it with about two or three authors, but I was not satisfied. I didn't want the the normal, he was born in Kinikon, Kinikon, he attended so, 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 and so, 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 and so. I told my author when eventually all the people that have tried to engage before I got this, uh, he's a medical doctor, by the way, mm -hmm. my author, before I got him, it's because I, I was privileged. We were in his house one day, you know, he's my in-law, his uh, uh, first daughter married my first son, and um, he had ju just finished a particular biography. And I read through the first five, six pages. And I was enjoying it. And I said, this is the direction wow. I want my story to go. And indeed, you have your story. So yes. you have um, spread across 221 pages. Yes. The story of the quintessential broadcasting great, mm. your Jua Digbite. <laughs> the book lays out for us the circumstances of your birth, yes. your family history, as well as details about your you know trajectory in mm. the broadcasting world let's come to broadcasting now you opened a radio station in Ibadan here radio nigeria providentially because you were employed as a studio manager that's right the announcer was not available yes and you opened the radio station in 1974 yes this is 48 years yes what was it that prodded you into doing that, even though you were not supposed to be an announcer on mm. radio at that time? What was it? Well, I attended a government college, Ibado. And government college of old, it was a school for the children of the bourgeoisie, the children of ministers and uh, all the people that uh, are the high ups in the society. And um, having attended a government college, if you went to government college in our own time, if you do not have distinction in English language, they will make yes, jest of you. If you didn't pass any, you must pass English language. English language. And then because I was also involved in drama, and in drama in government college, you must learn how to speak well. So I started my learning to speak right from the secondary school. So I did oral English, and I had a distinction in oral English. That oh. gave me some confidence. Oh, wow. But what people did not learn, uh, did not realize, was the fact that I started work just to be able to acquire some money to send my two brothers to school. So I was looking for work. So I got a job, two appointments on the same day. One as an account clerk at Cooperative Bank at Obade Bimpe Road. They had to be there. And then just across the road was Radio Nigeria. And I also got an appointment, having written an application earlier, as a studio manager. Now, studio manager in those days, you start as studio manager. Studio manager, you will be on the lowest ebb of the salary structure. But when you say studio manager, it means that you are the ones to take care of everything in the studio, the cables and what have you. 
you'll be on the council. I was on the council for two years, and I even went for a course at uh, the Radio Nigeria Training School at Obalinde, which has, which has been moved to somewhere in Oshodi now. And so that particular morning, we were living at Telewura. That's where my father had a house. And um, the driver would come and pick us. There was a bus, like a Kumbi bus, that normally would go around early in the morning to mm. pick those who were on morning duty. The driver did not come. So at about 5 o'clock, it didn't come. So I had to pick up commercial transportation. I, I went to the station. I wasn't the only one because the driver said the car broke down somewhere. He yeah. had picked one or two other staff, the engineering, the announcer. I was a studio manager. So when I got to the station, I knew where the keys were. So I opened the studio. I queued the first program and then waiting for the announcer to arrive at 5:20, the announcer had not arrived and in those days we had what you call drum signal most of the young old people will know yeah. what i'm talking mm. about it's, it's a talking drum that one will play for five minutes mm-hmm. to let you know that so this station is about to take mm. off in the morning so and that it was the announcer that will play that not now that uh, every uh, but uh, everybody is in one place. In those days, you have your own system, you cubicle, your own yeah, exactly. cubicle, and then the the man who's the studio manager who has total control, superior mm. control, will just open the feather for you to do whatever you want to do in here. But these days, because of uh, the commercial aspect exactly. of it, they've merged everything together. So I went to the announcer's cubicle and I was playing that at five twenty-five. I knew I needed to play the national anthem. Otherwise, in those days, if you didn't start with that process, it could be misinterpreted that perhaps a coup had taken exactly. place. Those were the days of coup. So the door that separated me and the and the announcer had one big, like all these big doors. Yes. But there was a spring. So when you pull it, it will spring back. Mm-hmm. So I had to use a chair to block it <laughs> so that I could rush and do two things at the same time. Oh, so wow. I killed the first program. I remember very, very vividly. It was uh, early morning worship in Yoruba by Alaji Egberungbe. He's dead now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I killed it. I put it on pause. So I rushed back to announcer's cubicle and I played the national anthem. After the national anthem, closed the feather and I did the what we call programs parade. In other words, a lineup of exactly. all the programs for the day. After that, I just said, we now begin today's programming with early morning worship in Yoruba. I closed the feather and I rushed to my own end <laughs> to release the pause. And lo and behold, the wow. first program, with only a few seconds break, the first program came on. While that was on, the announcer arrived. And then later on, the head of presentation, who is still alive and well today, uh. Mrs. Uh, B.C. Onobolu, now Mrs. B.C. Kasumu, you know, she came in. And in those days, oh, oh wow. our bosses used to monitor. You mispronounce a word, your guy will know. You're in trouble. Because they were carrying transistor radios all over the place. I also adopted that. They didn't like it when I happened to have been CEO of a, of a station in Ibadan. Did not like it because by that time nobody was caring anymore. So she came in the morning and said she heard a strange voice because she knew the voices of all her presenters and said, Who opened the station this morning? We we're all looking at ourselves. <laughs> then I raised up my hand. He said, Follow me. I got up from the console. My chief leader took over and I followed her to her office. I was shaking, thinking that that would be the end. That was going to be the end. So when I got to her office, she sat down and said, what gave you the audacity to put your mouth to my microphone to open the station this wow. morning? You know, I started stuttering. I couldn't... I said, Ma, I'm sorry, Ma. I thought that the announcer was not there and if there was no voice to sign on the station, I thought it could be regarded... It could be misinterpreted that perhaps a coup had taken place. So I had to take that risk. So she asked me, what do you have in English language? I told her. 
Do you do oral English? I said, I had a distinction. Wow. And she said, okay, you can go. Whoa. For the next two, three days, I was not myself. <laughs> I was expecting any moment. That was suspense. Yes. Whoa. Not knowing that Lagos, the headquarters, had asked Ibadan to send in names of uh, nominees for the basic announcer's course. So they now submitted my name. So a few days later, I was given a letter to proceed to Lagos for the announcer's course. I didn't know that all she discussed with me was that she had been able to identify the potential in me. Mm-hmm. And so I headed for Lagos for the three-month announcer's uh, basic course. And when I came back to Ibadan, I was deployed from production services to presentation. And that was the beginning of a 48-year career that has uh, well, still Well, pro- it, it actually started before then. Yes. I started work on the 20th of December 1973. So between 1973 and the end of 1974, I was a studio manager and on then, the console. And then in October of uh, 1974, yes, you actually mounted the microphone. That's right. And your mastery of the microphone continued to evolve mm. until you became, if not the best, you became one mm. of the best mm. ruling the airwaves in this part of the country at that time. How did it feel for you after you became a presenter? Look, when I came back from the course, I never wanted to be a professional broadcaster. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Oh. I, 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 it might interest you. I said my A-levels, physics, chemistry, biology. Okay, biochemistry, right? I wanted to be a biochemist. I had um, an ordinary pass in chemistry, so I had to do GC. I didn't make it again. Oh, wow. And chemistry was, was a major, major subject that you needed to at least have a credit mm. before you can say you want to biochemist bio, want to go for biochemistry in UI. So I did DC twice, I didn't make it. So I said, okay, in the meantime, this is providing some resources for me to survive and for me to also pay my my junior brother's uh, school fees. You know, so I continued until nineteen seventy six. I think it all happened nineteen seventy six when we had the creation of states. Yes. Western Nigeria became Oyo, Ogun and Ondo states. And remember the old WNBS, yes. WNTV. And everybody was asked to go to their states of origin. So your state that was newly created had only a mentor of mine and an idol, you might call him, he's late now, Alex Conde. He was very, very popular in those days. Mm-hmm. I was not popular in Radio Nigeria because Radio Nigeria was a conservative kind of yeah, BBC. Conservative, you know, yeah. whereas WNBS was the hip-hop station all over the country. And that was the spirit that was in you at that e- time. Exactly. <laughs> So, interestingly, one blessed morning like this, I had finished reading the national news on Friday morning, and the phone, the phone rang, and I was invited to come to WNBS for an audition by the head of presentation, one Mr. Victor Adini, who is also late now. So, I left for WNBS, where you have NTA Banner now. Yes. That was where mm-hmm. it was. That's where we started Radio Wire from. Mm-hmm. So I went there, and uh, an audition was uh, quickly organized for me. And after that, I was invited to the GM's office, and they said they want me to start working immediately. <laughs> and I said, you know that, I just laughed. I said, that's not possible. I needed need to give them one month's notice. So somebody now said, you can give them one month's salary in lieu of notice. I never knew that. That was a coup. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Friday. So they now, and I said, I don't have money. They said, they will give you the money here. Am I that hot? <laughs> you know, so they provided the money. Wow. Right there at WNBS studio, which I, which Radio Wire was going to take off from, they wrote my letter of resignation for me, and I signed, and I took it back to the broadcasting house at Radio Nigeria. I submitted it. 
Dinyobi Wadibi said that read the national news on Radio Nigeria on Friday morning. Eventually read the national news on Radio YO on Monday morning. Wow. And immediately everybody started. But they didn't know me by face mm. until 1982. Sometimes I will be in public. They will be talking about Nigeria music match. And music. They'll be, you know, they won't know I'm the one. Because they didn't know the face. Okay. Until television started in 1982. That's mm. uh, TSOS, which is now known as BCOS Television. So that's when I started liking the the profession I you fell in love with, with it. it it became an obsession I was enjoying it there's something about you that defies definition and mm. that's the fact that you love the microphone to the extent that you are able to up to now still be relevant you see mm. some people would have quit really yeah uh, you started by saying that you don't get too much money doing this job yeah but let's know what what exactly has been keeping you going despite the fact that I, I know that you've, you've done quite a number of other things that have fetched mm. you mm. big money, big, yeah. big money, yeah. really. Yeah, we well, thank God. But uh, what's in this profession that's keeping you on? Well, I think the seed was planted when I was in government college, Ibado. I never knew that I had this innate passion for broadcasting, but I was an actor. Throughout my stay in government college, I was an actor, and we had an expatriate principal at that time. And um, communication is such that I think... I would ascribe this to two things. One, the grace of God. I'm a product of grace. And then the passion I had for the profession. If I go ahead of myself, in the olden days of Radio Ohio, there was a time that the jealousy was so much that I was marking time on the same salary for yes. nine years. Mm -hmm. And my programs were bringing in about 35% of everything that was coming to that station. In fact, that's the reason why I left in the first instance. I left BCS twice, came back again after much persuasion until I eventually said, no, I'm that's out of enough. here. It's not rewarding for me. So I will say that I'm a complete communicator. Communicating, you will not believe this if I tell you this now. You know, that at the point I was assistant organist at Sentence Church, Molise, yes. because I was the only pianist in, throughout my stay in government college. That's also communication. All that woven or packed into just one person. But now I know the reason why God was leading me into all of this. All of this. He actually wanted to use me to manifest his glory. Because I work more now for most ministries and churches. You know, using this same talent that God had given me. I only went for the announcer's course and the studio manager's course in Radio Nigeria. Thereafter, I am a self-made man to the glory of God. I love to train myself. Sometimes I will finish my program in the morning at 9 o'clock and off I go to anywhere I could draw knowledge. I went there. You are still listening to Bookcast with Michael Olatsunbosun. The book is still Nyonju Adegbite, it's story. Yeah. I'm still discussing with Uncle Nyonju here. Let's talk about the family. You said you came from an indigent family. Your father was a hard worker. Yes. The way you described him in the book, you described him as someone who believed in hard work yes. and integrity and all that. He never stole, he never went beyond that's right. his, you know, his means yeah, and that's all right. that. You grew up in that kind of family mm. and whatever your father had you know, taught you, you imbibed yes. them yes. and you still hold dear to them. For yes. instance, the fact that um, yeah, he, I read that in the book that he prayed for you and he blessed you and all that. Yes. But you didn't have your father for too long. Yes. You, you were informed too when he died. Yes, right. How did it feel for you learning about the death of your father from a poster? It was tough. It was very tough because um, 
we went for a football match, the preliminaries of Romitola Cup in those days, using the field, the South Campus football field of the Polytechnic. And when we came back from that uh, match, and we were in the dining hall, when the announcement was made that, I think there has a visitor outside, you should come now. I got up with my fork still in my hand, and it now happened to be an uncle-in-law, and very old uncle-in-law, who I met outside. It was already dark. And he told me, he said, you know, in Yoruba, Omama I just couldn't make anything out of that. So he said, I said, So I had only the school uniform on me when we left. And we were taken to our house, not knowing that my father had died that morning. Now, before then, I had malaria and I was advised to go home. So I went home. I met him on a sick bed, very sick. There were people attending to him. I never knew he was just a quarter to go. And uh, the following morning, they didn't allow me to see him in his room. They said I should just quickly go back to school. I think from that point, the man was just on the threshold of, of leaving. So when I was now called again that, that afternoon, I suspected. Because I had a dream about two weeks earlier that my father died. So when we got home, they didn't take us to our house. They took me to my auntie's house in that same neighborhood, just about 100 meters my auntie, the wife of uh, late uh, Mr. Isaac Akioye, who was in charge of sports in those days, and that's where we were. They went to bring our clothes from mm. our own house. They mm. didn't allow us to go there. So the following morning was the burial because they needed to do the burial fast. So they said there were some outfits that I needed to try them on, and so they took me to our house. It was when I got to the house, the pillars holding the gate. I, I saw the small poster there, uh, obituary poster. I didn't know, you know, I, I was just 11 years old. I didn't know what actually came over me, but the rest is history now. Tell me about life immediately after your father died. Providence. Providence. My father had um, a very close friend of his. He died a couple of months ago at 95. As soon as we finished, I was packing my things from Government College, thinking that that was the end. I, very, it's a very sad person that I couldn't uh, even do school at because I knew that he was struggling to even pay the school fees for the first one year I spent there. So, may God bless his soul, Engineer J.I. Akinde, mm. who eventually became the superintendent engineer at the Western State Ministry of uh, Works. He called us and said, you know, don't worry about your school fees, you and your brothers. I will take it off from this point. He was one God used as a tool to allow me to finish at least O-levels in government uh, college, Ibado. And uh, that's where the foundation was laid. Because if you went to government college in those days, the kind of wholesome education that they exposed us to, you will be a total person, a total made person in all areas, even in sports. You will not believe it. At a point, I was the goalkeeper for government college football team. I played cricket. Wow. Uh, I, I, you must play virtually all the games in government college. I played mm. cricket. Hockey was what I did. was a game I didn't quite... Because of the hockey stick, and the, you know, the way they use it in those days, I, didn't, I was not cut out for, for hockey. But I did athletics. I did the triple jump, up, step and jump. I was a cricket goalkeeper, cricket keeper, and I was goalkeeper for the school team. First for my own house and then for the school team. You recalled your first day in boarding house. Yes. And uh, that quickly transmitted to me a similar experience I had when I also went to boarding house. Okay. That of um, a senior you know, asking you to use your money. To go and buy to, bread. And it speaks to the question of bullying. Yes. Uh, that you have in schools, particularly for highbrow schools like 
the government college, all these big yeah, schools yes, that you have. Yes, yes. The question of bullying still occurs today. Yes. What was your own experience and how do you think society generally yes, can you know yes. solve this problem? Because it still happens yes. today. Now in government college, the bullying there was actually to toughen you and to actually uh, make you a man. Really? Yes. Those who are bullying us, you just wait till you have a problem. You see that that man who was bullying you is the one who's going to provide the soccer. He becomes a big brother who will take care of you. That's the irony of it. In our days, though, in terms of bullying, because eventually when I left government college, that senior that did that to me, we became the best of friends. But today, that resilience that you had to withstand the yes. hit is no more. It's no more because, you know, a lot of things have happened. Not to this alone, all sectors in Nigeria. I don't know how we got here. And it's affecting even this our industry. Tell people this our noble industry. I know the lawyers will say noble profession. Mm. But this our own too is noble. Unfortunately, everything has gone kaput, have gone haywire. The reason why they were doing that, they also met it like that, transmitted it to their juniors. And uh, what I didn't do, I was a very gentle person. I never did it to my own juniors. Yeah, but it's only when you have an issue, let's say you develop some illness, malaria or something, that's when you know that the person who was bullying you actually loves you because he will take proper care of you. We're still discussing Yonju Adigbite, his story. Let me come to this part of the work. Uh, page 141. It says, yes. Thus, Yonju inadvertently made history in the broadcasting narrative of Oyo State by being a voice and a face to usher the state's three stations into the air. Radio OYO with Alex Conde, Radio OYO 2 FM, Yes. And the television service of your state. Yes. The first voice and the first face, really for you, it must have been the high point of your yes. career, really. It to was. Herald three stations, but not was, just one. But I was not excited until much, much later. Honestly, it was much, much later. I remember when we started Radio YO, my, my senior colleague and uh, mentor, Alex Conde, who is late now, both of us were in front of the microphone to launch that station. But when we were launching Radio YO2 FM Stereo in the studio beside Macpo Hall, there, mm -hmm. that's the station that's now known as Olioli FM. Yep. I went abroad to London, the mm -hmm. first and only time I ever traveled to UK in 1977 to go and record the jingles. We didn't have studios to record jingles in those days. So I was asked to go to London to supervise the production of all the station idents. And I finished, we finished the recording on a Friday. I left on Saturday, Wednesday night, went through throughout Thursday. Then on Friday, I finished. And I had two weeks to enjoy myself in London. <laughs> but on Saturday morning, I got a telegram that I should come to Nigeria with the next available flight. What could be happening? So they told the manager of that studio, Redifusion International, that was the name, that they should also tell me. So I had to leave on Sunday night. And I arrived in Nigeria in Lagos on Monday morning. The driver, BCS driver, was already waiting to take me to Ibadan. I had the master tape and I came to Ibadan. The driver drove me straight to Mako. So I had my bag, you know, my suitcase, inside the car, a bitu, and off we went to Mako. On getting Mako, I just saw canopies and what have you. Brigadier Medaeche Jembeon was then the governor. It was his project and he wanted his name to be on the plaque. For leaving. Yes, he had just been transferred. That was the reason why I was asked to. So as I was coming, they just said, you So with that tape, I launched the station 
with that mu- the music. So they were hearing it for the first time. All the jingles I did. I remember this is Radio Y O Two FM Stereo. Mm-hmm. I launched it there. There were speakers outside, and that was how Radio Y O Two FM Stereo started. I want to talk about uh, some of the landmarks for me. Uh, and when I was much, 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 much younger, I used to listen to you on radio. Yes. But there was this program that really became talk of the town, mm. the D&Y Connection. Connection. Yes. And um, today, people still refer to that period. That's right. Those days must be very magical for you. Yes. Tell yes. us about that show. How did it come about? You know, Diola Lagbe, she was then Diola Adeleke Adedoin. When she was in Form 5, I was in Form 1. She was in St. School, Molete. I was in Government College. And in those days, we used to have a, some kind of a hybrid arrangement whereby when we had stage shows, stage drama, Government College uh, boys would play the male, while St. School would play the female part. That's when I, in, in my first year, that's when I got to know Diola Lagbe. And then, of course, she left much earlier and went into broadcasting. So that time... She was my senior in Radio Ohio, but we used to throw banters at each other. She's been doing that right from school. Like, Baminiko give me a knock on the head. I said, you're lucky me, you know. You know, so we used to throw banters at each other. So on this particular day, I think it was a Friday, Good Friday or something. No, no, before Good Friday. We were downstairs on the ground floor and we were throwing the same banters. She wanted to remove her slippers to throw at me. And I ran, not knowing that our general manager was on the top floor looking at what was going on. You know, that's Chief Kunle Adeleke. So he now said they should come and call us. We now went to me and said, she ain't got anything in image. You know, in those days, we used to think of so many program ideas. He said, we are looking for somebody to have a special program for Easter Monday. So both of you, you go and do it on Easter Monday morning. Because I understand that you both of you used to throw banters at one another. And that's how we first had the first contact on radio. It was a big success. Everybody started talking about it. He now said, you know what? It's not going to be for Easter Monday alone. Continue. <laughs> you, you must have it on a particular day. So they gave us Wednesday morning. It became a success and we started. We, we were not calling India and Y Connection the original. We call it uh, Top of the Morning Show, Wednesday Morning Edition. But after a while... I don't know what happened that morning. I just said, I think the last one is Dini and Mini Y. I'm not going to D and Y connection. We are connecting. He said, that's good. So, you know, and that's how D and Y connection came into being. And it was, it was a, it was a household phenomenon. It was a big success. And everybody started talking about it to the extent that we were invited to Lagos as a couple like that, as presenters on many shows like uh, the Music Awards in Lagos, the Music Award the following year, Tony Okoroji, yeah. he took both of us to Abuja. That's where they had the second one as co-presenters in those days. Mm. And it became very popular. They would invite us, even when I left. She retired, I also retired. We were invited to Ondo OSRC. They would send a car on Tuesday to come and pick us, you know, and they would put us in a hotel. We present the program on Wednesday. Immediately after the program, they return us to Ibadan. Wow. We did that for almost a year. You know, wow. it was it was it was that popular that D and Y connection. Yeah. I know you had relationship with um, Senator Ajimobi, uh, Senator Peter Demo. You yes. had relationship with Bolaike. You yes. had relationship with yes. some of these people. Tell me what it was like for you relating with politicians, even as a mm. professional, mm. as against what we have today. Is there any anything that 
any similarity? Uh, mm. Because I'd like to know. Uh, some of us who are in the media, the, the, the issue is that most of the time you see that special assistants, uh, you know, assistants mm. to ministers, to people in government are usually media, for, for media, I mean, yeah. media practitioners. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me how it was easy for you to fuse into their own kind of business as media, as yeah. politicians. Yeah. I always refer to myself as a bolaige boy. We were very close to the, my uncle, who was immediate senior brother, my father, was living in Oshosani. And that house shared the same fence at the back with Uncle Bolaige's house. So we were very, I was very close to, because we would turn around to go and watch television, black and white, <laughs> you know, until Uncle Bola moved to. So, and he would, he would keep on giving us lectures, you know, counsel, and what have you, will sit down in the sitting room as young people. You know, so that's how I got to know Okubola again and I fell in love with him almost immediately. That's how I got into politics. So when he moved to Bolivia, we will we'll go there, you know, and uh, we'll have uh, chats with him. Dr. Tony Mariho used to be there at that time. That's how I got into politics. But said, I met his father first. I've known him and he had also known me, but we never met. Until one day, I was coordinating a program in Premier Hotel Banquet Hall. And so I needed to, I was there that night. He also arrived because they were going to have the annual general meeting of National Oil and Chemical, which he was the CEO at that time, the West African CEO at that time. So we met at the elevator and he said, Ah, you're Jukonini. What do you mean, Saibo? How are you? Blah, blah, blah. That was our first meeting and as we were entering the elevator. So I said, ah, What have you got to do here? I said, ah, I told him, he said, I normally manage events, so if you can, I can be managing your AGM from next year. And that was the first connection. He was my client. Then later on, when Mike Adenuga bought National Oil and it became Corn Oil, he said he was not. He doesn't think it will go farther than where he is now, that he wants to retire. And so he retired, you know, and then we met in a friend's house in the Agonku, and he said, Yoju, if you have 500 million, can you use it to win an election, a governorship election? I said, why not? If you're well spent. He said, because I have one 500 million I, I can play with, because my father told me that I'm going to be governor, and yeah. he took me to Bolaige, that Bolaige should pray for me that I will be governor someday. So I now said, ah, but if you want to go into governorship, because he had been a financial member of AD in those days, mm. yeah, but Alajilam wants to go for a second time, and he said, it's your uncle. Are you going to be competing against him? So I said, what you can do is make an inroad through senatorial election. He said, ah, that's a good one, and the rest is history. And he said, and Benz, you know, I said, Peter, I did money, but he's becoming unpopular, but we can be able to beat him at the primaries, which we did. And then we became very, very I became his media person. I was the only media person, but I, I had other colleagues who were working for me, helping me to write stories about him. And so we went and we won the election. So there was a slight issue that we had, and I worked out on him and for 11 months. But I said, ah, Nyoju, unique opportunity. I'm not in this thing for money. That's the point. I want to make a statement that you can demonstrate integrity, you can demonstrate humility. So I didn't go into it for money. If it was for money, I would have compromised. People that did, did not know that it was Alaji Lam who single-handedly told the governor that he should send me to BCS to go and do repair work. Because the session was off here when we, when we won the election. It was off here for a few days, mm. perhaps a week. He said it to me, but I said, Nyoju, that's how I find myself in BCS. No letter of appointment. Wow. And in two days, the two stations were on there. And then the rest is history. The rest is history. Mm. I'd like you to address practitioners of today. From your own experience, yes. you know, running the, the industry, 
advice for people who, number one, are aspiring to come into the industry and people who currently practice? Mm. What should be our conduct, particularly in this political atmosphere mm. that we have around today? Do not compromise. People do compromise because of the gains. Me, if I don't believe in something, I don't mind losing whatever perks that you think you place before me. My integrity comes first. That was why when I resumed in BCS 2011, I started inviting politicians from other parties to participate in our discussion programs. It was never like that. Once you came in, opposition blackout. I did not allow that. But the day I brought Ladoja into the studio, I was in Lagos when some of my colleagues called me and said, Ah, Uncle Yoju, I BCSJ. And I told the person, I said, you know what? Very soon. I said, because look, he's a former governor of the state. Yes. He said, no, it's not a personal non grata. The same thing with, uh, you know, that station doesn't belong to Anajimo, it belongs to the state. So you must be able to feature other people in other parties. So we made up our mind, my colleague who went there with me, that I recommended, Yomila Inka, that we were going to use that station for the next election. So we needed to call back the audience. And the rest is history. BCS Television is on GoTV right now. GoTV invited us. They called me from Lagos that they wanted to put us on GoTV. And I told them I don't have the money to buy the uplink equipment. They said they would bring it from Lagos. So the uplink equipment used now by BCS was supplied by MultiChoice. And they said the moment we don't want much, they will come and take the uplink equipment. We didn't pay a cobble. As far as politics is, is concerned, I'm not the type who will say because Lagbaja is not in our party. I always tell my people, I said, don't insult anybody who's in the other party. I told my people at that time, because, I mean, I'd known late Otumbakala before I started with uh, Ajimobi. And I keep on telling people at that time. But look, even Otumbakala, each time he saw me at that time, he would say, you know, with an incurable Ajimobi man. Not because Ajimobi was paying, was actually giving me benefits more than the others, but because I believed in Ajimobi. He was celebrarily up there. Kondi is a lawyer. So I started wondering, what is this man doing in this our industry? Because he understood <laughs> everything about this industry. Wow. Particularly, technically. He knew about it. At that time, you know, he had, the, we call it, Enka Trust Mortgage Bank, which <laughs> I did all the promo for at that time. You know, he understood the industry. He could see 10 years ahead. So that encouraged me a lot. It encouraged me, but I was very restless. There was no way I could stay and say, I want to be head of the place and blah, 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 blah. blah. And that's the reason why till tomorrow, I still respect him a lot as my father in the industry. You know, when you're talking about fathers in the you don't talk about Anika Agbaje Williams, don't talk about Yemi Farumbi, you know. But when you talk about the business aspect of broadcasting, give it to Chibaya Kondiman. I'm telling you. Uncle Yonju Adegbite mm. is the man behind this work. Yonju Adegbite, his story. Thank you for your time, sir. You're most welcome. And uh, this is a privilege, Michael. I really, really appreciate this. And I wish that uh, God will continue to endow you with his wisdom. Amen. And someday, someday, in this is our industry, the whole world will stand in unity to celebrate you because at that time, you will have been interviewing global broadcasters. I wish you well. Thank you very much, sir. You're most welcome. Thanks for listening to Bookcast with Michael Olatsumboson. Drop a comment and engage with Michael Olatsumboson on Instagram and Twitter at Mike Tumbosun. And join us next time on another episode of Bookcast. <laughs> <laughs>